tonight on the midnight train podcast we discuss the unfortunate unlucky and mysterious event of alien abductions this can get graphic so hold on to your stomachs so sit back grab your drink turn the volume to 11. warning listener discretion is advised we say things like uncle paul forgot to pay his taxes leap year is a bullshit holiday frog semen will blind you and fuck mashed potatoes all aboard And welcome to season four, episode one of the Midnight Train Podcast, where we bring the dark to light. What's that mean? Well, you guys know what it means. We make fun of and joke about creepy shit while bringing you as much information on each topic as possible. I am your host, the conductor of the cryptic, the guy who speaks way too damn fast, Jonathan Sayer. And with me, of course, is my co-host, the one and only Jeff Butchko. Shut up. How are you, I don't want your applause. (laughs) Shut up. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Hey, man. happy season four. Cheers season to that. Season four, dude. We made it this far. I can't believe it. Right? Most people give up in the first season. <laughs> They're like, this, this is too much time and too much money, and we don't get anything out of it. Most people probably think we should have given up in yeah. the uh, first season. But, but we won't. But guess what? We're like RoboCop in this bitch. Won't stop. Can't stop. You know That's what right. I mean? So now, unfortunately, the purveyor of the paranormal, um, the guy who whose beard walks in the room before he does. Uh, Mr. Moody is not with us today. Now, was he abducted? I hope so. Or was he convinced to go on a family vacation? Is he smarter than a fifth grader? He might be. He might. I mean, maybe. But you know what? I'm kind of jealous of him right now. And I'll tell you why. I haven't got out of the goddamn house other than this and like a couple things here and there. Oh, true. He's on like a family vacation. So good for him. And I can't blame him. You know, it's like, fuck yeah, go do it, man. So they're out camping. So Moody's, all the Moody's, plural. Moody's. We wish you a happy camping trip. I hope you don't get ticks in your beard. Or abducted. Or abducted. Because anal probes, you don't want any of that. Right. Well, I mean, he might. He might like that. Yeah. I mean, it's moody. How funny would it be if they abducted him and shaved his beard off? Ooh. How weird would he look? Uh, does he have a face underneath there? I don't think he does. What if it's just like, like it just it goes right to the neck, like from his nose to the neck. <laughs> nose to the neck. There's no chin or no mouth. No chin whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's got a mouth. We can't shut him up. You right, know what I mean? Right. So we know that's there. So moody, we miss you. And uh, we're going to take your notes and uh, go with this and see how it rolls. Yeah, we are going to definitely do that. We definitely do miss you already our good, good friend, but he will be back on the next episode. And I'm sure you guys will hear from him on the, uh, on the social media sites and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, make sure you guys are, you know, saying that you miss Moody when you listen to this, you know, Mr. Moody. All right. You beautiful, 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 you beautiful bunch of dark passengers. You guys know that we're just three. Well, two right now, goofballs and assholes that love history and can't get enough of the mysterious. 
We want you all to know how much it means to us that you're listening to our goofy asses at this right now time. That didn't even make sense, but you know, right now time. Um, your reviews and support really do make all the hard work worthwhile. And in saying that, please stop over to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening right now and give us a five-star review if you can review. And uh, you can leave um, you know, any kind of review you'd like. Surprise us. You can also find us on Spotify by typing The Midnight Train Podcast in their search bar. You can also tell us how we fell short of the episode. Yes, apparently. If you're feeling up to it. We did feel uh, fall short, according to one uh, passenger. Yeah, on last week's episode on The Slender Man, um, which I responded back to him, and hopefully he understands where we were coming from with it. Um, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, I... I I don't know. I like to hear everything negative, yeah, positive. Absolutely. Whatever. And I think he had a valid point. I mean, if you, if you come in, he, I, I'm assuming he wasn't an avid listener, but he didn't know Riley. Right. But if you were new to the show and you kind of just jumped in on that one, I could see kind of his point. To a I'm going to say he's an avid listener though, because if so? I'm not mistaken, he's uh, from England. So John, if you're out there um, listening from England, uh, thank you very much. And thank you for your feedback. He's we across the it. pond. Eh? He's, he's, that's right. He's over oh, that's in Canadian. Bloody old hey. England. <laughs> Bloody England. What a horrible, wooden teeth. Yeah, horrible accent there. Anyway, while you're over at Spotify, just type in the Midnight Train podcast in their search bar and click the follow button, and then you'll get each episode as they are released. All right. By the way, uh, John and I had a great time on the Skeleton Sisters podcast. We did. That was so much fun. So thank you to uh, Christina and Jesse for having us on there. It was a fun time, and uh, we talked about some spooky shit from right here in Ohio. Yeah. So if you guys uh, get a chance, make sure you got... And they are now officially on apple Podcasts. Ooh, yes they are apple podcast i have to say that i did help them out with that and it felt really good to do that so awesome uh, i actually went in immediately saw it and subscribed to them right away so so it was fun for me because you know we did it live and you know when you're in person it's all it's all different from when you play it back and hear yourself so i was tethered through john's phone and john's phone was tethered into their setup and I so think you, all they had was speakers just yeah. playing, right? Yeah. When you hear it back, I sound like I'm in a like a closet like 50 rooms away. It's yeah. so funny sounding. And I sound like I'm on a freaking police scanner. Yeah, yeah guys, how you doing over there? But it was fun. We laughed a lot. Yeah. It, was, it was a good time. It was a great time. And uh, yeah, so definitely if you guys are out there and you're on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you check out the Skeleton Sisters. And we're um, going to have them on as soon as we can get some kind of Discord or something set up with them. Right. Where... It'll sound really good and clean, and we'll do an, we'll do an episode with them as well. Yeah, that'd be fun. So. That'd be really fun. And uh, we were supposed to have a guest on this week, um, but unfortunately, and I'm calling him out right now, uh, Chris Erminski doesn't know how to answer his texts or phone calls. So if you guys are... Uh, he knows how to Facebook post, I'll yeah, tell you that much. Yeah, he's on Facebook all the time, but apparently that's all his phone does. Hey, Chris, I love you, but fuck your face. Here's the deal, Chris. If you don't contact us within three more episodes, I will reveal your social security number. <laughs> <laughs> and birthday <laughs> phone rings right now. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what, what, wait, wait. Yeah. All right. So let's turn down the lights, adjust our seats, grab a drink and let's get spooky. But first on this amazing episode one of season four, here's a toast to all of you beautiful motherfuckers. Now, hold on. Precursor to the toast. Oh, shit. I got a special email oh. for, for the cheers. Okay. Chancellor Tit-Tits oh. was out doing commencement speeches. Okay. Because, you know, the whole COVID thing's going on. Right. So I don't know if anybody's noticed, but like on iHeartRadio and uh, radio stations, a lot of famous people and actors are, are recording, pre-recording like speeches. Right. And then sending them out for the kids who are graduating. Right. So I got one from Chancellor Tit-Tits who tried to be, uh, tried to like rap and be cool and whatnot. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. But. It's a Dr. Seuss poem. 
Oh, okay. Well, let's check it out it's from the Chancellor places, Tits. The places you go. I don't know if you've heard that one. I have not. I don't. I don't know. It's. I probably. It's have. interesting. I told him I would play it. So here it is, guys. Grab your drink. You're gonna need it. Yeah. Here's your toast. I am Supreme Chancellor Tits, and here's your commencement speech. That's what it's what it. Honey Master and his headphones. The Chancellor demands the air to headphones. Thank you. Alright. A one, a two, a three. Here we go. You have brains in your head, you got feet in your shoes, you can't stand yourself any direction you uh-huh. choose. Yeah. You're on your own, and uh-huh. you know what you know, yeah. and you are the guy who decides where uh-huh. to go. Uh-huh. You get mixed up, of course, you already know. Yeah. You get mixed up with strange birds as uh-huh. you go. So uh-huh. be sure to step and step with what? care. What? Great tech, remember that life's about yeah. Yeah. And that's my speech. Chancellor. Tick, ticks. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Wow. That was pretty good. Yeah. I, I mean, A for effort, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I liked his delivery, though. He was like, yeah, he was into it. it. I mean, it was Doctor Seuss, and it was very evil. You could tell by like the the theme of the music. He had that evil chancellor kind of, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's. You could tell he's evil. Do you think he's evil? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's the cause of COVID nineteen. Well, he's a chancellor. I think he invented it. Doesn't that automatically mean you're evil? Yeah, I think so. I think you have to get a hood. Like once you get your hood, you know, then you're like supreme chancellor. Oh, so is he a? Supreme? Then your eyes, your eyes automatically turn red when you get the hood. Okay. And then just like your, the, 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 the new t-shirt design that we have exactly. on the website. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then if you get really pissed off when you're Supreme chancellor, you can actually shoot lightning bolts out of your fingertips. And do you say things like Skywalker? Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, that's oh. when you're emperor though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you have to be, so you, there's like, there's tiers. So you got levels. Like, yeah. Oh, you gotta, you gotta okay. climb the ladder well, that as they sense. say, as the kids say. <laughs> so listen, you know what we're talking about today, Jeff? And this is something that I'm actually kind of disheartened about because Mr. Moody is not here for this. You know, this is like his it's perfect his, show right here. Absolutely. And he did so much research on this. And Moody, is this is here. your show and you're not here. That, and you deserve that, you son of a bitch. So anyway, we're talking about alien abductions. And this is something that we've kind of touched on a couple different times. Like, you know, when we talked about our movie reviews and one of your favorite movies was uh, Fire in the Sky. Yeah. And about an alien abduction. And uh, so we're going to... You know, we're going to get into some alien abductions, but uh, first, before we get into that, let's discuss the different types of alien encounters. Oh. All right. So, alien encounter encounters were first classified by J. Allen Hynek in his uh, 1972 book, The UFO Experience. Um, there is a scale ranging from basic sightings up to close encounters. Um, so, now there's... Is that when you build uh, mountains out of mashed potatoes and your right. family says something's wrong? We got to get help. And then you have to play music to, yeah. to contact them. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what happens. Yeah. So the first one is uh, nocturnal lights. And these are pretty much just lights in the night sky that people happen to see or whatever. And it's not like nocturnal emissions, which is a <laughs> little bit different. And uh, if you're still having those... Um, you, 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 you listeners, you might go see a doctor about that because I mean, wow, they're natural, I guess, but to a degree. I mean, if they're happening every night, there might be anyway. So, there's daylight discs, and daylight discs are UFOs seen in the daytime, generally having uh, discoidal or oval shapes. Oh, yeah, shaped like, and then they, I think those are the ones that people seem to see the most, right? 
Yeah, I mean, there's the uh, God. You can see there's so much footage online if you just search that. There's there's the cigar shaped ones. There's the it looks like a like an actual frisbee. There there's all different kinds. Yeah, there's a ton of different ones. And there, right? you tend to only see them as they reflect or refract, reflect. Ref, ref, what was that word? Refract. <laughs> what, what the was sunlight, the sun glare. Okay. You know, because most of these ships are assumed that they're like chrome, metal, steel, whatever, some kind of crazy uh, material. But it, Because it, they're advanced. Yeah, so the sunlight bounces off it, and that's how you can actually see it in the sky. Other than the sun, you wouldn't see it unless there was lights on. Oh, so like at night. Right. Unless it's like refracting. Refracting was the word Re- I was refracting? looking for. Yeah. From, <laughs> from the moon. Oh, by the way, before we keep going on this, I do have to apologize to you. Apparently, I was called out. Because I was wrong about the Thor Ragnarok movie. And apparently I was incorrect when I said it was not that movie on the last episode. So there you go. So whoever called me out on that, who was it? Was that? Was I think that, it was Jesse. Was it Jesse? Yeah. All right. I mean, if you ever want to go toe to toe on movie trivia, I'm down. Oh, I think that sounds like a, a bonus episode. I think the loser should have to do a shot of voodoo. Oh, Jesus. That would be an amazing bonus. Which episode. we were supposed to do also is the Voodoo Challenge and the D-ray cha- D- Derail Challenge. But since Moody's not here, we felt that that just didn't seem fair for us to get drunk and him not. So we will be doing that uh, in the future. So um, whoever suggested that as well. Someone's got to hold our hair while we throw up. So. Yeah, we're both. We're all three bald. Well, it's A for effort. I wonder if anyone has to hold his beard when he throws up. Good question. Yeah, we'll have to find out. Do you think out. he like just grabs it and pulls it back? <laughs> like, like, he's like, hold on. <laughs> he you ties know? it up with a freaking yeah. a hair tie or scrunchie. around his hand and just pulls it back. <laughs> All right. So other types of um, UFO encounters here uh, is the uh, radar visual. And these uh, UFO reports that have radar confirmation. These supposedly try to offer harder evidence that the objects are real. Although radar propagation can be occasionally discredited due to atmospheric propagation anomalies. Now, we've seen a lot of this lately shit in the sky when the government finally came out and said, hey, here's footage. Right. We don't know what the fuck this is. Right. So unknown does not necessarily mean that it's from another planet. It's just something. It's unknown. That's why it's unknown. Yeah. Unknown. Unknown. Not known. (laughs) No, no. So let's talk about CE1, a close sighting. A close encounter of the first kind, or CE-1, is the most common encounter. It is a close-range sighting that occurs without tangible evidence. No trace of a craft is left, and no creatures are seen. Without evidence, the encounter is, in, uh, without evidence, the encounter is actually impossible to study. And uh, an example of a CE-1 can be found in the following story of a sighting. All right? So on Interstate 70 near Indianapolis on March 29, 1978, three trucks were traveling together on the highway. The truckers were talking to one another on their CB radios. Suddenly, the trucks were covered with a bright blue light as if a giant spotlight from the sky were shining on them. The drivers couldn't see beyond the hoods of their trucks, and everything was silent. The CB stopped working, and the engines of the three trucks began to run roughly. This lasted for perhaps five seconds. Then the blue light blinked off, and things returned to normal. Road noises, CBs, and engines. The drivers were stunned, but one man announced on a CB, quote, Hey, UFO! If you have your ears on, I want to go with you. <laughs> Swear to God, the guy said that, apparently, yeah. As if someone were listening, the blue light covered the trucks again, this time for 15 seconds. The three engines ran into trouble again, and the trucks lurched and slowed to 10 miles per hour. When the light stopped a second time, it did not return. Other people witnessed this strange incident, 
A woman who was across the highway told the truckers on her CB that, quote, it looked like a big, bright blue lampshade over the three trucks. So that's a close encounter of the first kind. God, I would have shit my pants. <laughs> Can you imagine? For real. But so I guess the, the craziest thing is that, that so it's not actual contact. Yeah. So you're kind of like. They're just toying with you. I mean, could it have possibly been, let's just say, a helicopter that shined its light? Uh, I don't know, because police lights are not blue. The regular flood and spotlights are that, uh, what do they call that? Daylight. Uh, it's called white. Yeah, that's <laughs> offensive. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's none of none of them are blue spotlights. And there would be no reason for it to be a blue spotlight because you wouldn't see anything. Well, you would, but it wouldn't be as clear and dominant as an actual white light yeah. or yellowish light. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess you're right. I'm not real positive what that could be. So I'm thinking they're, they're scanning shit, right? Well, they probably went up to those three truckers and were like, uh, nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah. No sign of intelligence in these trucks. But I mean, look, <laughs> at, look, Chainsaw. At, look at like a copy machine. You know what I mean? Okay. It's green. You ever watch, you ever like make a copy with the lid up? Yeah. Into that green light. <laughs> goes back and forth. Because those are aliens. Because it's scanning. Scanning. Uh, it has something to do. Uh, you would know this better than me because you're Photoshopping graphics and stuff. But like, it's got to do something with like the color contrast. The RGB right. or the CMYK. So it scans so better the colors and stuff. Because the white would flush it out, wouldn't it? And uh, you would have like... Uh, yeah. From a graphic standpoint, white is the absence of color. Okay. Where black is the... Um, like all, Well, there's two different thoughts of that. It's either white is uh, all the colors because of the light and the way it refracts. Uh-huh. Or... It's it's fucking weird. Anyway, yeah, I see what you're but saying. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like the color, they're, they're scanning. Yeah, like right. it's, they're obviously scanning something right. or reading or something like that you know it's, it's you, picking up something maybe they were trying to see what was in the trucks well if they scanned a ford they're in trouble <laughs> sorry <laughs> to all the ford drivers out there <laughs> maybe they're just like pirates of the of the of like space pirates that were coming down and be. trying to get some booty from the trucks you yeah, know yeah they're like ah, oh, let's see what's in here oh, we just need ignition coils <laughs> just cigarettes fuck it yeah all right so let's go to ce2 so this is a close encounter to physical evidence what's the c3po that's the guy that goes isn't that to him? No, that's no, no he's the tall golden robot. Oh, he's the one that goes, R2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. R2-D2. So he's not one of the uh, encounters? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. So this is physical evidence. A CE2 is commonly called a physical trace encounter. Since the UFO leaves behind some kind of evidence that it landed, this kind of encounter has the potential to prove that UFOs exist. Crop circles. Yeah. In actual practice, though, most CE2s have provided little substantial evidence. Two types of CE2 exist. In type 1, um, the uh, person does not actually see the UFO, only the results of its landing. In type 2, the person sees not only the results, but the UFO itself at close range. So there can be no doubt that the witness is observing a true UFO. All right. Does that make that makes sense? To yeah. Me. It's see, like, I'll... oh, they left something in my yard. And they look up and it's like, oh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going deep with it though, man, because I keep thinking about that Bob Lazar and how he Bob Lazar, how he described how UFOs work, or the ones that he they had captured in Area 51. So how it bends gravity like a mirror, and I'm thinking like, okay, so if it was bending gravity like a mirror, and this thing came down like you know, and it was hovering over the ground, can you do that noise it, again? That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Would it push the grass blades down, or would it actually break them? Because it's gravity. The way he described how it flew, it was bending gravity upwards. And that's why it could like do all these crazy maneuvers, go left and right, up and down. Okay. So if it were to land, 
it would hover a couple feet and then eventually land, but would it bend and break glass gra <laughs> grass blades and tree branches and whatnot? Well, gravity still has a force to it, doesn't it? Like if he's using gravity, I mean, you would think gravity... it would pull it up though instead of breaking it. Well, I mean, according to his theory, gravity keeps us down. So, you know what else keeps us down? What the man? <laughs> Damn the man! Whoa! We'll be right back after this message. Every morning, every. This episode of the Midnight Train podcast is sponsored by Aces Depot Bar and Grill. Aces Depot is not your typical corner bar. Conveniently located in beautiful and historic Olmsted Falls, Ohio, Aces Depot has raised the bar in hospitality, pub fare, and craft beer. Their vast menu and business information is available at aces-depot.com. So, stop in, grab a delicious gourmet burger or handcrafted pizza, and wash it down with one of their over 75 beers. Because at Aces Depot Bar & Grill, when you're here, you're family. And now we will return to your regularly scheduled program. Okay, so one of the most studied type 2 physical trace encounters took place in Delphos, Kansas on the evening of November 21st, 1971 and was researched by ufologist Ted Phillips, among other, others. Others? Others. 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 Lost. Remember Jin when he comes around? Others. Others. He comes around out of the woods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the others, yeah. If you haven't watched the TV series Lost, you suck. Yeah. Because that's the one that started all of them. It's probably, in my mind, the greatest ever TV series. Of that type of... Of, of, of that suspenseful yeah, thriller. Yeah. So good. Except yeah. the last season. Just I mean, don't it did, watch the it last did kind of like get stretched out and go a little... Yeah, but if you know. haven't seen it, sit down and binge The Lost. Yeah, you, you'll be thanking I me. I concur. So a 16-year-old boy named Ron Johnson was working on his parents' farm and about Ron 7 o'clock. Ron Johnson. Imagine that. Yeah. Ron, Ronald Johnson. Hey, boy, what's your name? Ron, Ron Johnson. Johnson. Ron Johnson. Um, about 7 o'clock, he was in the sheep pen with his dog. Uh, hopefully just... As a Ron Johnson would. Tending to the sheep. Um, without warning, he heard a rumbling sound like an old washing machine, he told investigators later and saw a brightly lit mushroom-shaped object about 75 feet away. It was hovering a few feet from the ground, glowing with a steady mass of lights, not individual lights. Ron and his dog remained silent, though the sheep began to bellow. The bright lights actually hurt Ron's eyes. The base of the UFO lit up with even brighter lights, and the craft moved at a 45-degree angle over the hog shed. Ron was blinded by the intense light and heard the UFO zoom away like a jet plane. Moments later, when he was able to see again, he saw the UFO in the southern sky. He ran to the house and told his parents what he had witnessed. They, in turn, slapped the shit out of him and told him to go back out to the sheep. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. With them, he returned to the yard, and they watched the UFO light, uh, the UFO light grow smaller in the sky. Then Ron showed them where the UFO had hovered. Even in the darkness of the November night, they could see a luminous gray-white ring. Some nearby trees also seemed to glow. The Johnsons touched the soil ring. It was cool and slick, but Mrs. Johnson said that her fingers became numb, and when she wiped her fingers against her pants, her leg also became numb. So the aliens coated everywhere they landed with Ben Gay? <laughs> right. Icy hot. <laughs> hey, I got that here, man. 
<laughs> We're bringing icy hot to Earth. You Protection watch. protocol, Ben Gay. <laughs> so both Mr. and Mrs. Johnson experienced prolonged numbness over the uh, next few weeks, while Ron developed headaches and some eye trouble. Uh-oh. He also began to have nightmares. Investigator Phillips checked for other possible witnesses and found none. He also made sure that samples of the glowing soil ring were sent to different laboratories for analysis. Unfortunately, the findings at some laboratories contradicted the findings at others, and the results must be called inconclusive. Of course. Imagine that. We don't know what element this is. We'll have to hold it longer. Yeah, it's a, it tastes and smells like Ben Gay, Bob. <laughs> uh, Bill, how do you know what Ben Gay tastes it's like? It's my tongue. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot tell what it tastes like. How do you know what it tastes like? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've tried it before. Drooling all over himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now let's talk about CE3s. Ooh. All right, this is Close Encounter of the Third Kind. We're taking it up a notch. Yeah, buddy. This occurs when a person makes contact with a UFO and its occupants. A CE3 that received almost no publicity in the United States took place in Rendlesham Forest, England, in late December of 1980. And if I said that wrong, Rendlesham? Rendlesham? I'm going to say Rendles- Rendlesham, England. Rendlesham Rendlesham Forest? Rendlesham Forest? I don't know. Anyway, maybe John from England Rand- can let us know. Randall's ham. Randall's ham? Yeah. Are you saying Pam? Ham. Ham. Is that two ham. M's? Hind. Ham. Hind? Ha- ham. Ham. Thanksgiving. Okay, gotcha. So this happened in uh, late December 1980. Because the case is so far from, uh, is far from solved, it is still very controversial, so the version of the events may not be the final word. In Rendlesham Forest... It's located uh, near um, two Royal Air Air Force bases that are leased to the United States. Because of the sensitive nature of operations at the two air bases, great care is taken to secure the area surrounding them. On December 27, 1980, a group of Air Force security officers saw what they thought was a small aircraft heading for the forest. This was so close to the base that it had to be investigated, and two security officers walked into the woods. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. As you would, like any horror movie. Right, yeah. Hey, I hear screaming. Let's go see what it is. Right. Instead of, yeah, nobody investigates, whatever. So there, in a clearing, they came upon a kind of green fog. It rose from the ground to a height of about three feet and uh, seemed circular. Uh, Through it, they could see the ground and some cows on the other side. As one of the security officers actually said later, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. The two officers tried to find the aircraft that seemed to have fallen, crashed, or landed in the woods, but found nothing except the fog. Suddenly, a red ball of light sailed over the trees toward the clearing and stopped above the fog. That's going to give someone a heart attack one of these days. I know. Probably me. That's the point. Just letting you know. Okay. Then the red ball burst into a a spray-like large chrysanthemum firework when the lights dissolved what the dissolved, hell is chrysanthemum Chrysan- it's a flower it. it's a flower a chrysanthemum is a flower okay it seems like an elaborate name for a fucking flower you know what i mean chrysanthemum you got tulips lilies daisies and you have a chrysanthemum i'm just actually happy that i could read that word and not fuck it up on there yet the word force earlier i fucked up <laughs> Yeah, that's that's yeah. it's that Ben Gay goo, man. <laughs> <laughs> when the lights dissolved, the green fog had disappeared, and a large wedge-shaped UFO standing on three legs was in the clearing. The men watched the object for a while and even tried to approach it. Each time they did, the UFO rose about six feet and moved away. One of the men saw what he thought were aliens. "Quote: There was definitely something inside it," he said later. "I don't know what, but the shapes did not look human. Maybe they were like robots." Oh. End quote. 
Time and time again, the two men attempted to touch the craft. Each time, the UFO retracts its legs and flew a short distance away. It made no noise and maneuvered easily through the trees. I'm sorry, all I envision is like, you ever see like a stray dog or cat and you go to touch and it like backs up from you each time? It's like you see a ship just kind of (laughs) like... Not not only that, it's like, so there's like, there's, there's two conceptions of of ufos so like you got the war of the world's kind which are the tripods which is the three-leg thing you know and that was popular for a long time especially back in the 60s and like the roswell stuff all these ufo pictures had these three like you know legs with suction cup feet at the bottom and that was like a big thing that's right, what everybody right, right. and then you have like the other side of the spectrum where there's no legs whatsoever and they just hover or they land they got like a little ramp that comes down Maybe you there's know? different types of aliens from different planetary systems but i mean like why the tripod why did that come why did that become popular and like a thing? I don't know. I'm a tripod. Nobody asked me that question. Thank you. Eventually, the security officers were joined by other Air Force personnel, perhaps 30 in all. The men formed a ring around the UFO with 15-foot spaces between them, but the object took off without warning. The cows and some forest animals went into a frenzy, rushing away from the site. An hour later, the UFO was spotted near the rear gate to the airbase. Then, it just disappeared. The Air Force investigated afterward, and discovered triangular indentions at the site as well as high radiation levels in the indentions. Wow. (laughs) But the story does not end there. Uh Uh-oh. Supposedly, three nights after the UFO returned, this encounter is described in much less detail than the first, and some say that it never occurred at all. If it did, this is what some sources report. The UFO, damaged in some way, returned. More airmen went into the woods, and this time they saw three UFO occupants. The creatures were small humanoids, identical to each other, dressed in silver suits. A beam of light that fell from under the craft allowed the three creatures to float in the air. Wing Commander Williams ordered everyone to stand back as he approached the aliens. Wing Commander Williams! (laughs) Red 5 checking in. Wing Commander Williams here! Why do you talk like that, Bill? Come on! Uh, So they approached the uh, aliens. Apparently, he was able to communicate with them without using any speech. Oh, yeah. So telepathically yeah 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 mm. soon the craft was repaired it that off. happened in independence day by the way not to interrupt you but yeah oh yeah remember when uh the president and he was in the glass and he was looking at the alien and it wrapped gun. his neck yeah, yeah but it showed him like everything they were doing how they were destroying worlds mm. and whatnot but it did it through his mind yeah 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 so there's it's got to be true yeah it has to be yeah if it's an in independence day because that's like almost a documentary right it is a uh, like a blair witch handy cam footage movie that's what i thought will yeah. smith yeah before he actually became a star I right will smith i know damn it so it took off slowly and then quickly sailed toward the North Sea. The CE-3 at Randlesham Forest raises uh, many questions and answers none, which none of these ever answer anything. Perhaps the most important question is, did it happen at all? Because all of the witnesses were military personnel, most did not want to speak publicly. Those who did risked exposing themselves to ridicule. Could the whole account have been made up by a few bored airmen? Could it have could it have involved a secret military aircraft or did the encounter with ufo occupants really happen eventually with additional study we may learn the truth about the rendlesham forest ce3 so picture like back in the 50s right the door opens up guy walks in you hear like the jingling of his medallions and whatnot he's like oh what a long day (laughs) and then you hear from the kitchen did they buy your story wing commander wilson (laughs) oh they did martha you got broccoli in that meal? They bought it hook, line, and fucking singer. I always have to cook broccoli. I hate you. <laughs> that's that's how I envision this whole, how this all went down. So Martha knows? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. For sure. Okay. 
So over the years, many people have taken Hynek's three types of encounters and expanded them into a number of subcategories and even an extended list which outlines seven different categories of close encounters. Few, if any, of the four newer categories or of encounters are widely accepted. So there's only three. Well, we're getting to we're getting to one more. Okay. But there's subcategories that other people are adding to it. So like you can have the you know a CE two, but it could be. But there's know, like a fourth kind, like close encounter of the fourth kind. Well, I guess you'll have to wait. Oh, the suspense. Yeah, it's killing me. Few, if any, of the four newer categories of encounters are, like I said, are widely accepted. In fact, not even Heineck accepts them as rational. Heineck, for the, his part, was not even enthusiastic about including a close encounter of the third kind on his original list. While there are literally over 100 different types of encounters that have been outlined in subheads and add-ons to the seven kinds of close encounters most commonly discussed, we are only going to discuss the four major types added to this Heineck's list. So now, the CE4. A close encounter of the fourth kind is one in which a human is abducted by an extraterrestrial. In some cases, depending on the many interpretations of this, abduction does not include a visitation in which the human is not actually taken aboard a UFO, but is in the custody of an extraterrestrial while still on Earth. So basically, he's kidnapped. And that's the movie with Mia Jovovich is uh, the fourth kind, it's called. The fourth, the fourth kind. I'm trying to find... While you keep going here, I'm going to try and find the actual at the end of that movie. If you've ever seen it, they actually showed the real footage where uh, the therapist is like making yeah. them recall in their sleep, like a hypnotist, which thing. I did actually do some research on that. And that is all movie makeup. Is it? It's yeah. not real. No, it's oh. not real. Well, then I guess I'm not going to look for it. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm sorry. Didn't mean to burst I was your gonna bring it up. I thought guess it was what? Be yes, good, I did but... for being right about Ragnarok, you prick. Sorry. Hey, I know my movies. Dude. Yeah, I know. So now we are going to just touch real quick on the uh, the other ones, CE5, 6, and 7. So CE5 is a close encounter of the fifth kind, um, and it's one in which there is a bilateral contact with an extraterrestrial entity. This can be through some audible form of communication or by some form of mental telepathic communication. The contact can be initiated by either a human or the extraterrestrial. CE6 is a close encounter of the sixth kind, obviously. Uh, entails a UFO or its inhabitants directly causing injury or death it has been cited numerous times that this is unnecessary as it is already included on the Heineck scale under physical contact then there's the ce7 the most controversial encounter to most is the close encounter of the seventh kind a close encounter of the seventh kind is one which a human and extraterrestrial mate to produce a hybrid being oh yeah this is hardly a new theory it actually dates back to the ancient egyptians according to some translations of ancient text but it's still often seen as a bit too hard to conceive as possible in many regards from a biological biological sense. Listen, do we know who Elon Musk's mom and dad are? <laughs> just saying. I mean, I mean, I'm just saying. It is possible. All right, so those are the types of sightings and the close encounters that are most commonly used. So now, you ready to get to the good stuff? Yeah. All right, we're going to get to the good stuff. These are some famous fucking abductions. And this first one is an amazing story that I've actually followed and read about numerous times and listened to different podcasts about. I'm talking about Betty and Barney Hill. All right. So the following account of the Hill's abduction and incident is taken from the history website. So is it chasing us? That thought coursed through Betty and Barney Hill's minds as they drove down the empty, winding country road in New Hampshire's White Mountains. It was a September night in 1961. They hadn't seen a car for miles, and a strange light in the sky seemed to be following them. When they finally got home to Portsmouth at dawn, they were far from relieved. They felt dirty. Their watches stopped working. 
Barney's shoes were strangely scuffed and Betty's dress was ripped. There were two hours of that drive that neither one of them could remember. So, what happened? Well, with the help of a psychiatrist, the quiet couple eventually revealed a startling story. Gray beings with large eyes had walked them into a metallic disc as as uh, wide uh, as wide as it you know as long as it is wide. So mm-hmm. it's a disc. Betty said, "As her house was long, so she's saying it's, it's a big one. Thing is a pretty big ass ship. Uh, once inside, the beings examined the couple and erased their memories. So it's kind of like you know Men in Black. Yeah, you know." What do, they, what do they call that thing? The, the neuralizer. Neuralizer. There you go. See? Nerd. Anyway. Hey, you want a movie trivia? I'm uh, telling yeah, you. All right, all right. You proved your You'll be on the points. ground with yeah. alcohol poisoning oh, by gosh. the end of the night. That's probably going to happen anyway. <laughs> Their experience would kick off an Air Force inquiry, part of the uh, secretive initiative Project Blue Book that investigated UFO sightings across the country. The incident would also become the first ever widely publicized alien abduction account and shape how stories like it were told and understood from then on. Debate continues as to whether the husband and wife were liars, fantasists, crackpots, or simply sleep-deprived people who later recovered seriously scrambled memories. Now, did their stories line up? Well, let's get to that. So the Hills Road Trip was a spontaneous one, all right? It was a well-earned break Barney decided the couple needed, as explained in The Interrupted Journey, a 1966 book they collaborated on with author John G. Fuller. Barney worked a grueling night shift at the post office, driving 60 miles each way. Betty's job handling state child welfare cases was no easier. The little free time uh, this biracial couple had was devoted to their church and activities related to the civil rights movement. After 16 months of marriage, Betty and Barney saw this trip through Montreal and Niagara Falls as their delayed honeymoon. They left so impulsively, they had no time to even go to the bank before it closed for the weekend. They got in their car with less than $70 in their pockets. On the last night of the three-day trip, the tired couple sipped coffee in a Vermont diner to recharge before driving back. Barney figured if they pushed through, they could beat the wind and rains from an approaching hurricane. They left the diner around 10 p.m., estimating they could reach their red-framed house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. at the latest. As they drove, a strange light in the sky gave another reason to hurry. It first just looked like a falling star, but it grew larger and brighter with each mile. Barney, an avid plane watcher and World War II vet, was sure they had nothing to worry about. It's just a satellite, he assured Betty. It probably, no, wasn't, of course. So, the light seemed to move with the car as Barney steered down the curving mountain road. The light zigged and zagged, ducking past the moon and behind trees and mountain ridges, only to reappear moments later. Sometimes it seemed to move toward them in a game of cat and mouse. It had to be an illusion, they thought. Maybe the car's movement made it seem like the light, too, was moving. Curiosity overcame them, okay? Obviously, they're in a car together, and they're like, well, what the fuck is this? So the couple pulled over at a road stop and uh, picnic turnouts, um, or turnarounds, whatever, to uh, get a closer look. Whoa! We'll be right back after this message. Every morning, every... Hello, dear listeners. This is Charles Chaplin. Come on down to Charles Chaplin's Mustache Emporium, where we have one style of mustache, and it's the only style that you'll ever need, but yet we have all of everything you need for that style. Don't let the likes of that twat Adolf Hitler mess with us. Mess with this United States. Mess with these people. Charles Chaplin's Mustache Emporium. One style, all your needs. But now we return to your 
regularly scheduled program. So through binoculars, Betty saw that the white light was really an object spinning in the air. Barney, she told her husband, if you think that's a satellite or a star, you're being completely ridiculous. So now the encounter here. He knew she was right. All right. Barney had an IQ of 140. Noted Fuller in his is book. Is that good? That's good. That's, okay. That's so my I think 84 is not that great. That's, you might be slightly handicapped. Really? Yeah, maybe. It's okay. I feel like I know more than that, though. I feel like a number is just a number, right? It is. Don't judge a book by its cover. Right. Okay, back to the story. All right. So Barney was also a pragmatic man who wouldn't give flying saucers a second thought. Remember his niece, his niece Kathleen Martin, in her work, captured the Betty and Barney Hill experience. The night was too quiet for a helicopter, a commercial plane, or even a military jet with a hotshot pilot. He didn't want to spook Betty, but he was becoming concerned. What was this light, and why was it toying with them? About 70 miles past the diner, the object hovered just above the treetops, approximately 100 feet above them. Barney abruptly stopped the car, keeping the engine running. He shoved a handgun he'd hidden beneath the seat into his pocket and rushed rushed as he should and rushed into a dark field, leaving Betty in the car, which he probably shouldn't have, but whatever. Bait. Yeah, (laughs) bait. (laughs) Hey, honey, uh, I'll be right back. Why are you taking the gun? Shh. There's a deer. (laughs) We're hungry. So what he saw was as big as a jet, but as round and flat as a pancake. And quote, my God, what is this thing he recalled thinking? And quote, this cannot be real. Behind rows of windows, gray uniformed beings seemed to look right at him, Barney recalled. He tried to lift his hand to his pistol, but somehow couldn't. A voice told him not to put down his binoculars. Binoculars? Binoculars. Bino- I mean, technically they are binoculars. You're right. Yeah, not binoculars. We will, that's Ohio. Well, that's everywhere. Binoculars. Binoculars. You guys get them binoculars so we can go out there and check out shit? Binoculars. <laughs> so he had a uh, startling thought. We're about to be captured. Yelling hysterically, he ran back to the car and barreled down the road as Betty tracked the craft, craning her head outside the car window. All I imagine is him getting too close to like a telephone pole and bink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Sorry. Without explanation, um, loud rhythmic beeps um, sounded from the car's trunk. Um, the couple felt in instantly drowsy and lost consciousness. They came to around two hours later and 35 miles down the road. Back home in Portsmouth, they tried to make sense of the night. Barney felt compelled to examine his body's lower half. <laughs> well, I don't remember the past hour. I better check my balls. Yes, my, my, my dick. Is, is my dick still there? Oh, there it is. Thank God. Is it there? Do you see it? So both seemed aware of a puzzling presence. In the weeks and months after, Betty, an avid reader, checked out books from the library discovering the civilian UFO group National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, or the NICAP. She also reported the sighting to the Air Force, worried about radiation. In the coming years, with Betty suffering from disturbing dreams and Barney developing an ulcer and anxiety, the couple sought mental help. The two met with Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist and neurologist who specialized in hypnosis, a mainstream technique at the time. Remember, this is back in 1961. Yeah. Through months of weekly sessions, Simon helped the couple piece together what they think had happened. A vessel had landed on the hill's car, putting them to sleep. Afterward, gray uh, gray beings walked them up a long ramp and into the spacecraft. Once inside, the hills were separated, taking turns in an examination room that had curved walls and a large light hanging from the ceiling. Did they give them Reese's Pieces? 
I, it doesn't say that, but I hope so. Oh, wait, uh, wait, the aliens gave them Reese's yeah. Pieces? That'd be a little twist, wouldn't it? Yeah, like they get up, they walk up the ramp and they just get hit in the face with like a handful of Reese's Pieces and they're like, nee, maybe that's where Spielberg got it from. Pretty sure. Yeah, there it is. Bingo. So each was asked to climb up on a metal table. The table was so short, Barney's legs hung over the side, probably because they're all tiny little beings. Yeah. <laughs> During the examinations, the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothes. But, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it till after the rim check. Uh, uh, plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Ooh. E yeah. Each sample was placed on a clear uh, material, not unlike a glass slide. So remember, folks, in the intro, Evan told you to uh, watch your stomach because this could get graphic. Here we go. Yeah. Um, so needles connected to long wires probed their heads, arms, legs, and spines. One large needle, around four to six inches long, was inserted into Betty's belly. Oof. Duh. Ugh, that sounds so bad. This pregnancy test left her twisting in pain. Throughout, um, throughout, a being Barney and Betty called the leader watched from the side. After Betty's examination ended, the beings rushed back into her room excited. They discovered that Barney's teeth could be removed. Oh, God. <laughs> Betty laughed, explaining that Barney had dentures. Oh, okay. I thought it meant like they were going to pull like hostile, you know, right. like movie hostile. Yeah. A fact of uh, human aging, the beings struggle to understand. So these guys are like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> His teeth come out. Run. <laughs> so later, alone with the leader, Betty asked where the craft had flown, admitting she knew little of the universe. The being joked with her saying, quote, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Later on, under hypnosis. So they speak English. Apparently. Apparently. Or maybe it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they just understood, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Elliot. <laughs> so later under hypnosis, uh, she drew a uh, star map shown to her on the ship. So she actually drew out a map of the stars and where these beings have supposedly been. How the fuck did she do that? Because this is what she remembers from being on the ship. That's crazy. Yeah. So the Hills weren't the first to spot a UFO or even to report an abduction, but their story did capture the nation's imagination and was so widely publicized, it was helped, uh, It has helped shape how we talk about alien encounters and abductions to this day. Now, some believe that the Hills story was simply a myth, all right, uh, with the supernatural meetings, vulnerable pro uh, protagonists, and otherworldly journeys that are often the hallmarks of legend. Many point to the stress of being an interracial couple living in a predominantly white state in a turbulent area, which is why I touched on that earlier. You're talking early 60s. Being a Irish couple, it's not exactly the easiest thing back then. Pretty fucking creative for that time, though. If, in fact, for that's... For the detail? Right, yeah. You know? That's right. why I was asking if their stories coincide with each other. Right. So, uh, now, the year of the hypnosis in 1964 was marked by Cold War tensions and civil rights unrest, with numerous urban riots erupting that summer. And, uh, quote, you have a biracial couple at a time where obviously it was not easy to be a biracial couple, says Bader. Quote, look what, look what those aliens were, a mixture of black and white. They were gray. I find that very meaningful. Yeah. Okay. Um, the NICAP's scientific advisor cross-examined the couple and found their account credible. The Air Force Project Blue Book would ultimately dismiss the story, determining the unexplained craft could be explained by, quote, natural causes, hinting that the couple hadn't seen a, sp a spacecraft, but only the planet Jupiter, which... <laughs> okay, the planet Jupiter is chasing them down, and then they had dreams that coincide with one another. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just, it seems weird. Now, 
for, for his part, a uh, psychiatrist Simon never felt the Hills had made up their story. He concluded Betty had dreamed the abduction and Barney had absorbed her story, especially since many of the most vivid details matched descriptions of dreams Betty had jotted down after the event. Quote, I believe implicitly, implicitly in the honesty of these people, he said on a 70s radio program. Now, of course, another explanation is always possible. The abduction actually occurred. The Hill story, uh, or the Hill stuck by their story, despite years of skeptics and detractors. Like many abductees, the couple never felt false memory or sleep paralysis explained what they experienced. Betty became a known voice in UFO research and claimed she was visited multiple times in the decades to follow. Wow! We'll be right back after this message. Every morning. This episode of the Midnight Train Podcast is sponsored by Voodoo Vodka. 20 times distilled, made from pure cane sugar and handcrafted right here in Ohio. Vodka can be smooth and voodoo proves it. Drink it straight, chilled, or in your favorite mixed drink. Ask for it wherever you buy your favorite liquors or head over to voodoo.com and subscribe to their mailing list. While you're there, pick up some voodoo merchandise and use the promo code Midnight Train Podcast, all one word, to get 10% off your entire order. That's voodoo, V O U D O U X dot com. Promo code Midnight Train Podcast for 10% off. And you can now buy this delicious vodka online. So order some today and drink with us whenever you listen to the show. Voodoo Vodka, it's magic. But now we will return to your regularly scheduled program. So what do you think about the uh, Betty and Barney Hills right now? Their, their, their experience. It's pretty cool. I mean, if anything, it's a really, really cool story. You know, I was always fascinated with those ones where they lose track of what happened and then it comes back out through hypnosis. Like, to me, that's really interesting. You know what I mean? Because you have to have some deep-seated fucking creativity and imagination for that to come out while you're under hypnosis. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, you want to hear the... Like plan that. You want to hear the craziest part about the whole story? Yeah. I made it all up. No way. Yeah, I'm just kidding. No, no, this is actually a legit thing that happened. Yeah. And uh, I just thought I wanted to fuck with you and everybody else out there like, what? I know. I was going to be like, <laughs> what? That was actually really good, though. Yeah. No, but... um. This is a, a story that's been going on for a very, very long time. Like, is I mean, this like since the, the American 60s, Horror you know? Story, you know, the one season uh, where they had uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and that Sarah Paulson, they're a biracial couple and they moved into like this hillbilly town. Were there aliens involved? I, th- I got, I can't remember. Yeah, see, I, 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 I think I don't it know. was like a spinoff of this story, though. It's possible. I, it's very thinking, possible. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very. Could they have in the, the, those two hours or whatever? Could they have literally made this shit up? Could she have fallen asleep in the car and then, as she was just dreaming, yeah, and then she was like, "Oh my god, these dreams!" And he's like, "Oh my god, maybe because I mean, you, he was sleep deprived. You know what I mean? Like he was sleep deprived. Yeah, and it's very possible that you know you ever zone out in your car. Sure, you're just driving, and all of a sudden you're like, "Holy!" And you shit. see a goat, and everybody tells you there's no goat, and you keep going on the tour. <laughs> who was that that was chainsaw wasn't it no that was uh uh canadian oh, drummer was, yeah canadian drummer yeah 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 he's like hey it's like four in the morning i don't know where we're where were we going it was somewhere it was probably somewhere yeah and so we're driving it's like four in the morning i think you and i and kenny were like half asleep in the back and ken obloy from voodoo was up front with him and all of a sudden it, it's like dusk and you just hear 
Oh, hey, that's a goat. We almost hit a goat. Hey, <laughs> we're like, what? We're on like a, a highway in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that sleep. Where there wouldn't be a goat. Yeah, sleep deprivation will do that shit. And remember, we wouldn't let him drive after that. Yeah. Like, yeah, buddy, you're just going to sit in the back. Yeah, there. no more driving for you. Yeah. But what I'm saying, though, is like, uh, as you're driving, sometimes you ever just kind of like snap out of it and you're just like, holy shit. Like, I was not even paying attention. I, I, I've gone this far. You ever do that? No, see, I don't. Oh, see, I, I do that I all the sure, time. Well, for one, I'm always playing my music like louder than it should be all the time. And I'm always either drumming to the music like with my feet or I'm either singing with it. But I'm always like beating the shit on my steering wheel, like trying to drum, you know, with it. <laughs> motherfucker, so, like, yeah. motherfucker, so I'm, like, motherfucker. I'm, I'm always like in the zone of music whenever I drive. Oh, uh, OK. Well, see, I, I, I do. I, I zone out every now and then. And I'm just like, whoa, like. Like I literally like a, la a lapse in time happens, you know, yeah. and I would love to hear if other people have ever had that happen to them. You just drive in and all of a sudden you kind of like snap out of it and you're like, whoa. So you well, listeners, so I'd like to hear if you guys have ever had that happen to you. Here's the thing about this. And I've said this before about numerous things that we've gone over from that era or that time period. There's nothing to gain, right? There's nothing financially that this couple could gain for elaborating this story and coming out with it. Like, if they're sitting around their house, like, Hey, you know what? Let's come up with this alien story. And you say this and I'll say that. We'll scuff up our shoes and we'll make everybody believe. like, what do you gain from that? Other than people thinking you're a fucking wacko, especially if you put into account that they were biracial and they were, you know, probably scrutinized at that time. They, why, don't, they don't want attention. Right. To them, why know? would you want to do that? So at that's, that point that's the bizarre thing. And like nowadays you would because you want to go viral. You want the ads on YouTube. Right, you want right. to make the money. But and, back then and biracial couples like they're everywhere and, yeah. and kudos to anyone who is with anyone ever because right. relationships suck regardless you know what i mean like <laughs> so like i don't understand like if it except was my fake. marriage i love my marriage my relationship is amazing thank you i don't understand like why why'd you rim shot that hold on <laughs> not that <laughs> thank you okay, That's the you <laughs> but i don't understand there's there's nothing to gain you know what i mean mm-hmm other than drawing attention and people just like shunning you and thinking you're fucking wacko. Right. There's nothing to get. So why would they elaborate and create this whole story and come out with it and stick with it for all the years? I mean, so something literally. obviously definitely happened. We don't know what. Maybe they had bad mushrooms and like tripped on acid or something. I don't know. But something happened, right? It's, uh, something definitely happened and they did stick with it. You and, don't just make that up in the 60s. I mean, right. in that situation that they were. Right. Now, um, you know. Could they have read something in a a a book? Popular mechanics. Something. Could they have read something and then all of a sudden, who knows? All, all we know is what they've told us, and they seem to stick with it the entire time. You yeah. know what I mean? So, it's cool. I, I like it. It's a cool yeah. story. And we're still talking about it here freaking, what is this, 60 years later? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's crazy. So now we're going to talk about one that you're going to love. Travis? We're talking about Travis Walton. Yeah, this is right? such a great story. So this is a, another uh, story that uh, you know we could honestly spend multiple episodes on. Yeah. Um, Moody actually pulled this account from the MUFON, which is a mutual UFO network website. The MUFON. MUFON, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just picture like this. I'd say like 48-year-old guy in his basement, probably overweight, probably bald. Probably, you know, works as like at the Geek Squad at Best Buy. And he's like, <laughs> I am the founder of MUFON. If you want to join my website, it's a $5 charge. Well, 
it's a to kind of go on that MUFON is an all volunteer nonprofit 5013 charitable corporation and the world's oldest and largest civilian UFO investigation and research organization. I like my version better. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, passengers, let's buckle up and talk about Travis Walton. So Travis Walton was born on February 10th, 1953. He's a American. He was a logger who was supposedly abducted by a UFO on November 5th, 1975 while working with a logging crew in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest in Arizona. Walton could not be found, but reappeared after a five-day search. The Walton case received mainstream publicity and remains one of the best-known instances of alleged alien abduction. UFO historian Jerome Clark writes that, quote, few abduction reports have generated as much controversy as the, as the Walton case. It is furthermore one of the very few alien abduction cases where corroborative eyewitnesses and one of a few abduction cases where the time allegedly spent in the custody of aliens plays a rather minor role in the overall account. So in other words, there are eyewitnesses to, to this happening. There's so much shit. At least and the disappearance. There's even lie detector tests that all of them, the consensus was all of them were telling the truth. Which is amazing. All right, so let's tell the story here. So, if for all those people who have never seen uh, Fire in the Sky or oh don't God, know anything about the story, it. you got to watch that story. Yeah. But we're going to tell you the story here. So, the case began on Wednesday, November fifth, nineteen seventy-five. Then, only twenty-two years old, Walton was employed by Mike Rogers, who had for nine years contracted with the United States Forest Service for various duties. Rogers and Walton were best friends. Walton dated Rogers' sister, Dana, right. whom he actually later, um, later on married. Uh, others on the crew were Ken Peterson, John Goulette, Steve Pierce, Alan Dallas, and Dwayne Smith. They all lived in the town of Snowflake, Arizona. Rogers were hired. Uh, Rogers was hired to thin out uh, scrub uh, shrub brush and undergrowth from a large area, more than 1,200 acres. And that's a lot. That's like up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. People, by the way, that is a lot. So, uh, near, like we're talking deep, deep, deep forest. Yeah. So this is near Turkey Springs, Arizona, and I'm not familiar with that area, but I'm assuming it, back then it was probably fucking acres and acres yeah. and acres of trees and shit. So the job was the most lucrative contract Rogers had received from the Forest Service, but the job was behind schedule. Schedule. Sh schedule. Sh schedule. Do you, do you ever, just, I don't want to derail this, but... Imagine that. <laughs> why do people say it's sh schedule? Is that the proper way to say it? Well, I mean... Schedule. I don't know. Put because, me on the schedule. Because it is spelled S-C-H, but school... Shed, schedule. You don't Shed, say you don't say school. Schedule. Let's go to school. Schedule. Schedule? I would like to be on the schedule. No, that sounds... That sounds... Maybe that's the uh, the uh, proper English so let's, pronunciation. Let's, let's call it schedule. 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 It's school, not school. Schedule. Right. So, okay, back to the story. I'm sorry. <laughs> as a result, they worked overtime to fulfill the contract, typically from 6 a.m. until sunset. Just, just after 6 p.m. on November 5th, Rogers and his crew finished their work for the day and piled into Rogers' truck for the drive back to Snowflake. The crew reported that shortly after beginning the drive home, they saw a bright light from behind a hill. They drove closer and said they saw a large silvery disc hovering above a clearing and shining brightly. It was around 8 feet high and 20 feet in diameter. Rogers stopped the truck and Walton leaped out and ran toward the disc. Why he would do that, I have no idea. That doesn't seem like a smart move. What would you do that? Well, he was, uh, I mean, like if you watch the movie, he was kind of like one of those, uh, I don't want to say a hippie, but he was like, like they show his family life before all this happened in the movie. And he's like, you know, going up to random kids and be like playing with them. Like he was a very outgoing, friendly, non-shy kind of person. Plus he's 22 years old. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So the other said they shot at, at Walton to come back, but he continued toward the disc. The men in the truck reported that Walton was nearly below the object when the disc began making noises similar to a loud turbine. The disc then began to wobble from side to side, and Walton began to cautiously walk away from the object. Of course he would, because his pants were getting filled with feces at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus. Jerome Clark wrote that just after Walton moved away from the disc, the others insisted they saw a beam of blue-green light coming <laughs> You're going to kill me with that uh, blue-green light coming from the disc and, quote, strike Walton. Clark went on to write that Walton, quote, rose a foot into the air, his arms and legs outstretched, and shot back stiffly some 10 feet, all the while caught in the glow of the light. His right shoulder hit the earth, and his body sprawled limply over the ground, end quote. Now, so, like, blasted him, basically. And in the movie, they actually show that part, do they not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of fucked up, it is. like, watching it, especially when you watch that movie. And you take it as in, this happened. Yeah. Like so it's if a you're true story. if you're a believer in yeah. this and you watch the movie, it's fucking crazy. So he gets lifted up like he's levitating, right? And all of a sudden, just like, and right. like he gets blasted to the ground, right? And that's when they all start freaking out, and they they're like, get out of here, and they peel out. Wow. We'll be right back after this message. And now we return to your regularly scheduled program. About 7.30 p.m., Peterson called police from Heber, Arizona, near Snowflake. Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison answered the telephone. Peterson initially reported only that one of a logging crew was missing. Ellison then met the crew at a shopping center. They related to the tale to him, all the men distraught, two of them actually in tears, And though he was somewhat skeptical of the fantastic account, Ellison would later reflect that, quote, if they were acting, they were awfully good at it. See, that's what I was saying earlier about the Benny and, uh, right. Benny and the Jets. Yeah. Benny and the Jets. Benny and Bar or Betty and Barney, right? Benny and Barney. Betty and Barney. The dinosaur. Betty and Barney Hill. I love you. (laughs) Jesus. So Ellison notified his superior sheriff, Marlon Gillespie, who told Ellison to keep the crew in Heber until he could arrive with Officer Ken Copeland to interview the men. In less than an hour, Gillespie and Copeland arrived, and they heard the tale from the crew. Rogers insisted on returning to the scene immediately to search for Walton with tracking dogs, if possible, but no dogs were available. But the police... Who let the dogs out? Who? 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 Who let the dogs out? Who? I'll... <laughs> okay. So, uh, but the police and some of the crew returned to the scene. Crew members Smith, Pierce, and Goulette were too upset to be of much help in the search, so they elected to return to Snowflake and relate the bad news to friends and family. At the scene, the law enforcement officers became suspicious of the story related to the crew. How would you handle that, by the way? Let's say you and I and Moody, we went on a camping trip, and, you know, we're camping and we're driving up, and this whole thing happens to us, and I get sucked up in the light and whatever gone, you guys peel out. Like, how would you go tell, like, my girlfriend Samantha, like, what would you say? Would you be like, well, we were camping nope. and an alien sucked him up and he's gone? Knowing what I know now, <laughs> I mean, like, how do I you? I probably wouldn't say shit, dude. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'd probably go back and be like, uh, Jeff said he had some shit to do. <laughs> um, I mean, imagine having that conversation. I'll like, let you know when I hear from him. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I don't know. Because no one's gonna fucking believe you, dude. I know. It's so I couldn't imagine that. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I I don't know if I could. Whatever. So, but they were suspicious mainly because there was nothing uh, in the way of physical evidence to back up the account. All right. So basically you go out there and they're just like, Hey, our buddy is gone. And you know, they're like, okay, but yeah, you know, did you murder him? 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is that that's? I mean, police have to do diligence, and that was the thing number one of, thing they they thought. Right, that they actually they thought they can concocted this whole tale yeah and Oof. they really just murdered him but there was nothing to gain right, right? and there's no evidence of that either yeah because he was just helping out on the crew right right you mentioned that yeah. yeah so the more police and volunteers arrived to search the area they found not a single trace of walton winter nights could be bitterly cold in the mountains and walton had worn only jeans a denim jacket and a shirt Police were worried that Walton could fall victim to hypothermia if he were, in fact, lost. Do you think the missing posters was a picture of Eddie Vedder? <laughs> it pretty much described him right there, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> By morning on November 6th, officials and volunteers had scoured the area around the scene where Walton went missing. No trace of him was discovered, and police suspicions were growing that the UFO tale was concocted to cover up an accident or a homicide, like we were talking about. Saturday morning, Rogers and Dwayne Walton, uh, Travis's older brother, arrived at Sheriff Gillespie's office explosively angry because they had returned to the scene and found no police there. By that afternoon, police were searching for Walton with helicopters, horse-mounted officers, and jeeps. On November, uh, Monday, November 10th, all of Rogers' remaining crew took polygraph examinations administered by Cy Gilson, an Arizona Department of Public Safety, Safety employee. His questions asked them, um, if any of the men caused harm to Walton or knew who had caused Walton any harm, if they knew where Walton's body was buried, and if they told the truth about seeing a UFO. The men all denied harming Walton or knowing who had harmed him, denied knowing where his body was, and insisted that they had indeed seen a UFO. Except, uh, excepting uh, with uh, Dallas, who had not completed his exam, thus rendering it invalid, Gilson concluded that all of the men were truthful and the exam results were conclusive. Now, I remember, I'm going to show my age here, but I remember seeing on when I was younger on Phil Donahue. And for those of you who don't know who Phil Donahue is, he was like the Oprah or the Ellen of back then. Like he was like the first to do like a Jerry Springer-ish kind of... Silver-haired. Yeah. And these guys, he had them on there and he was interviewing like way, way, way back. And I remember seeing that as a kid and I was like, ooh, this is weird. Wait, one of the moms of one of the people? No, or? no, no. The actual logger, like all these people. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, they, wow. they were all on Donahue. Oh, so he had he had them all on there. Yeah. I thought you said a mom on there. No, I mean, he probably <laughs> had several moms on there. That guy was a player. <laughs> he sort of got it. That's why I was like, who's mom? Yeah. What? Shows over. Where's the moms? <laughs> so Clark quotes from Gilson's official report, quote, these polygraph examinations prove that these five men did see some object they believed to be a UFO and that Travis Walton was not injured or murdered by any of these men on that Wednesday, end quote. If the UFO was fake, Gilson thought, quote, five of these men had no prior knowledge of it, end quote. Following the polygraph test, Sheriff Gillespie announced that he accepted the UFO story, saying, quote, there's no doubt they're telling the truth. So, all right, so they're starting to get people to believe him now. That's awesome. Travis returned on Monday the 10th. He was taken for a medical exam where they determined he was in good health, but noted two strange things. First, a small red spot at the crease of Walton's right elbow that was consistent with a hypodermic injection, but the doctors also noted that the spot was not near a vein. And two, analysis of Walton's urine revealed a lack of ketones, this was unusual given that if Walton had indeed been gone for five days with little or no food as he insisted, and as his weight loss suggested, his body should have begun breaking down fats in order to survive, and this should have led to very high levels of ketone in his urine. Critics would argue 
This inconsistency is evidence against Walton's story. All right, so we understand what's going on here. He's lacking some shit, and like he's got little, little, little hole in his arm. Yeah. So Walton would later speculate that he had gotten the mark on his elbow in the course of his logging work. Critics would speculate that the mark showed where Walton or someone else had injected drugs into his system. Clark dismisses this possibility of drugging as most unlikely, given that the medical doctors found no sign of it. But he also notes that perhaps, quote, more difficult to explain is the absence of bruises, which one might expect in the wake of Walton's alleged beam-driven collision with the ground. So they could have totally spun this into like a comedy where like, you know, it's just a bunch of loggers out in the woods and, uh, you know, they they inject drugs and the one guy goes crazy and runs off on his own. They're like, well, well, fuck it. Well, we'll just let him go. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, they could have told like, here's what I would imagine like the movie trailer. Coming this summer, a group of friends in the hills inject drugs and the craziness ensues. What happened to Travis? Did he have a bad trip? I don't know. Rated R. Nice. I mean, truthfully, if you think about it, so let's just say you, me, and Moody, we're out hanging about, and we decide that, you know, (laughs) we're going to get fucked up. All right? All of a sudden, say we're taking shrooms. I've never done (laughs) shrooms before in my life, but let's just say hypothetically. Yeah. uh, Psychedelics. All of a sudden, Moody flips his fucking shit and just takes off running. Yeah. What are you going to do? We're not going to go chase him. Well, we're stoned out of our asses. Yeah. And we're probably just looking at him going, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, I hope he comes back. And then when you kind of, kind of come to or whatever and you realize he's not back, what do you do? You know what I mean? Right. You concoct a story about aliens. Although, tree logging and chainsaws and all that seems like a really bad idea to be tripping and yeah. experimenting yeah. with drugs. Yeah, that does seem a little bit I mean, bit maybe out in the middle of nowhere is a good idea, but when you got... Uh, all that equipment and machinery available. Yeah, it's probably not a good idea to do. No. Yeah. So Walton reported that after approaching the UFO near the work site, the last thing he remembered was being struck by the beam of light. When he woke, Walton said he was on a reclined bed. A bright light shone above him and the air was heavy and wet. He was in pain and had some trouble breathing, but his first thought was that he was in a normal hospital. As his faculties returned, Walton says he realized he was surrounded by three figures, each wearing a sort of orange jumpsuit. The figures were not human. Walton described the beings as typical of the so-called greys, which feature uh, in some abduction accounts. Quote, shorter than five feet, and they had bald heads, no hair. Their heads were domed very large. So kind of like the Midnight Train podcast. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like us. <laughs> <laughs> Give us Reese's Pieces. Yeah. He goes on to say they looked like fetuses. They had large eyes, (laughs) enormous eyes, almost brown, um, without much white in them. The creepiest thing about them were those eyes. They just stared through me, end quote. Their ears, noses, and mouths, quote, seemed real small, maybe just because their eyes were so huge. Walton related that he feared for his safety and got to his feet and shouted at the creatures to stay away. He grabbed a glass-like cylinder from a nearby shelf and tried to break its tip to create a makeshift knife, but found the object was to—it was unbreakable, so he couldn't even break this fucking thing. So instead, waved it at the creatures as a weapon. The trio of creatures left him in the room. Walton then left the, quote, exam room via a hallway, which led to a spherical room with only a high-back chair placed in the center of the room. Sounds like the wrong fucking room to go into. Yeah. Though he was afraid there might be someone seated in the chair, Walton says he walked 
towards it. As he did, lights began to appear in the room. The chair was empty, so Walton says he sat in it. What Why, the fuck? What would you do? Hey, I'm on this fucking crazy shit. That chair looks comfortable. I'm going to sit down right there. Yeah. It's like yeah. waving a, a treat at a dog when it's mid barking at something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Squirrel. I want, I want that. Yeah. And when he did, the room was filled with lights similar to stars projected on a round planetarium ceiling. The chair was equipped on the left arm with a single short, thick lever with an oddly shaped molded handle atop some dark brown material. On the right arm, there was an illuminated lime green screen about five inches square with black lines intersected at all angles. When Walton pushed the lever, he reported that the stars rotated around him slowly. When he released the lever, the stars remained at their new position. He decided to stop manipulating the lever. <laughs> the aliens are puky. Like, oh, God, stop moving the ship. <laughs> it's moving around. Yeah. The stars are like real stars. You know, the ship's like, <laughs> get him out of there. <laughs> Let's <laughs> fucking human. <laughs> oh shit! Um, he says that it rotated around slowly, so he <laughs> he decided to stop messing with this thing because he had no idea what it might do. Um, he left the chair, and the stars disappeared. Walton thought he had seen a rectangular outline on the rounded wall, perhaps a door, and went to look for it. Just then, Walton heard a sound behind him. He turned, expecting more of the short, large-eyed creatures but was pleasantly surprised to see a tall human figure wearing blue coveralls with a glassy helmet. At the time, Walton said he did not realize how odd the man's eyes were, larger than normal and a bright gold color. Walton says he then asked the man a number of questions, but the man only grinned and motioned for Walton to follow him. Walton also said that because of the man's helmet, he might have been unable to hear him, so he followed the man down the hallway, which led to a door and a steep ramp down a to a large room Walton described as similar to an aircraft hangar. Walton says he realized he had just left a disc-shaped craft similar to the one he had seen in the forest just before he had been struck by the bluish light, but the craft was perhaps twice as large. In the hangar-like room, Walton reported seeing other disc-shaped craft. Oh, he got to the mothership. Yeah, it sounds like it. See, none of this is in the movie. Oh, yeah? No. Oh, yeah. So the man led him to another room containing three more humans, a woman and two men resembling the helmeted man. These people did not wear helmets, so Walton says he began asking questions to them. They responded with... Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Chainsaw. They responded with the same dull grin and led him by his arm to a small table. Once he was seated on the table, Walton says he realized the woman held the device like an oxygen mask which she placed on his face. Before he could fight back, Walton says he passed out. When he woke again, Walton says he was outside the gas station in Heber, Arizona. One of the disc-shaped craft was hovering just above the highway, and after a moment, the craft shot away, and Walton stumbled to the telephones and called his brother-in-law, Grant Neff. He thought that only a few hours had actually passed. So Dwayne and Travis then drove to Scottsdale, Arizona, where a meeting with APRO consultant James A. Harder had been arranged. Carter hypnotized Walton, hoping to uncover more details of the missing five days. Clark writes that, quote, unlike many other abductees, however, Walton's conscious recall and unconscious memory were the same, and he could account for only a maximum of two hours and perhaps less of his missing five days. Curiously, Walton encountered an, an impenetrable mental block and expressed the view that he would die if the regression continued. Ooh. So they're basically trying to get this shit out of him, and he's just like, I can't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, they want him to go back to that dark place. It, it's so repressed. You yeah. know what I mean? And see, this is cool because I've never heard this much detail of the actual story, and the Hollywood movie is completely different. Like it's good, 
and it's really fucked up and spooky, but they never went into any of this stuff that you're talking about. Because the movie was Hollywood-fied. Yeah. Hollywood-fied. Is that it? Hollywood-fied? Halifax. Halifax. <laughs> so Sheriff Gillespie arranged for a polygraph, but when word of the exam was leaked to the press, Dwayne canceled it, thinking that Gillespie had broken his promise to keep the test a secret. Gillespie would later insist he had not leaked word of the polygraph and that the case had become too sensationalistic to keep anything secret for long. The National Enquirer... Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's a reputable source. source. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Wanted Walton to take a polygraph as soon as possible and arranged for one. After Dwayne insisted that he and Walton have the power to veto any public disclosure of the test results. Harder, um, Harder thought that uh, Walton was too distraught to take a polygraph. But the examiner, John J. McCarthy of the Arizona Polygraph uh, Laboratory, said he could take Walton's nervous state into consideration. In interviewing Walton before the exam began, McCarthy extracted two admissions from him. First, that he had smoked marijuana a few times, but he had never used the drug regularly. And secondly, that he and Mike Rogers' younger brother had committed check fraud a few years earlier by altering payroll checks. <laughs> it was his only serious brush with the law. Walton completed two years probation without further incident, but Walton remained deeply embarrassed about the check fraud episode. Incidentally, Philip J. Class notes that Walton once claimed to have been jailed for his crime, that he actually received two years probation as a first-time offender. So that's kind of weird. McCarthy then administered the polygraph. You think that was planted, though? You know how, like, back in the day they'd plant drugs? I'm sure they still do it these days, but... If they were, if they really wanted to cover something up, let's say they knew that maybe this story and everything was legitimate, and the polygraph came back and they're like, "Fuck, this is real. People are gonna freak the fuck out. Let's plant some drugs." You know? Oh yeah, he smoked the marijuana. Yeah, well, he's crazy. Well, they're saying that he actually just admitted to smoking it, but not like regularly. Regularly, Re God, regu regularly, often. Is that on your schedule? <laughs> regularly is on my schedule. Schedule. <laughs> schedule. But you know sure. what I mean? Like, they could have easily planted all that shit to cover it up. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible. Now, if Chris were here, he would tell you that that is, in fact... Fuck you, Chris! That is, that, that is what happened. Love you, buddy. Anyway, so McCarthy then administered the polygraph, which remains mired in controversy. Walton asserts McCarthy behaved unprofessionally, while McCarthy insists Walton both failed the polygraph and tried to cheat. At one point, says Walton, McCarthy asked if Walton had colluded with anyone to perpetrate a hoax. Walton said he was unfamiliar with the word, and Walton reported that McCarthy replied in a confrontational and aggressive manner that collusion was planning or conspiring with another, just as Walton had colluded to steal and forge payroll checks. And we all know about that word from our American politics of the past year. Yeah. Collusion with Russia. Russian collusion. You're, I mean, you're fired. <laughs> oh. After completing the exam, McCarthy determined that Walton was lying. Clark quotes from McCarthy, uh, his, uh, McCarthy's official report is, quote, Based on his reaction on all charts, it is the opinion of this, this examiner that Walton, in concert with others, is attempting to perpetrate a UFO hoax and that he has not been on any spacecraft, end quote. Later, McCarthy would assert that, quote, Sometimes Travis would hold his breath in an effort to beat the machine, end quote. Again, nothing to gain. Back then, there's nothing to gain. Even, yeah. even, and that was a more recent one out of these. And there's still nothing to gain at that point. How would you like to own a tree logging business in the middle of fucking nowhere? And that's like your livelihood. That's how you put food on the table. 
and you're going to run around and say, yeah, this guy got sucked up by an alien and now he's back. He was probed. What, what the hell is that going to do for you? Ah, I don't mean uh, publicity, those, those I guess. Those are government bidded contracts. So yeah. it's not like he's, he's not going to get more work yeah, for being famous. Fuck him up, yeah. yeah. Well, the Waltons, APRO, and the National Enquirer then agreed to keep the results of this polygraph a secret, due in large part. Um, they insisted to or insisted to doubts about McCarthy's methods and objectivity. So McCarthy was kind of an asshole. At least it sounds like it from. I feel like all those guys are. You know, like they're like, are you ready to take my lie detector? Well, it's like they don't believe you immediately. Like yeah. before even administering the test to you, they're like, eh, you're you're guilty. You're you're a piece of shit. The machine proves it. Yeah. Remember when you did those checks? You fucking creep, fucking cruel creep, 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 fucking criminal. That was, that was, yeah, that was a, I, I was looking for somebody. <laughs> that was the closest one. There's got to be something here. So eight months later, when word of this decision was made public, there would be more charges of deception and cover-up. Walton would later take and pass two, take and pass two additional polygraph exams, though the suppressed results of the first exam would shadow him and earn mention in nearly every discussion of the case to the present. So Philip J. Class, an aviation journalist by profession, but also a well-known UFO debunker, launched a concerted, sustained critique against Walton's claims, arguing especially that there was a strong financial motive to the entire affair. Ah, here we go. Yeah. What is it? Rogers knew he would be unable to complete his contract with the Forest Service, argued Class, and concocted a scheme to invoke the Contracts Act of God Clause, thus dissolving the contract without fault. Okay, so there's something there. Yeah. Others I wonder are, what the contract was worth. Uh, you know, I don't have that would be interesting. We should to look know. it up, yeah. Others argued against the, uh, this idea, noting that defaulting on a Forest Service contract was not necessarily the catastrophe class implied. Rogers had failed to complete two of his many earlier Forest Service contracts, yet had been rehired without apparent prejudice. Furthermore, despite his anxiety over the contract, Rogers never invoked or tried to invoke the Act of God clause in the aftermath of Walton's disappearance. The, so they're saying he could have done this, but he never did. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, they're kind of like throwing fucking hot dogs at the wall. Wait, is but, it hot dogs or hamburger? No. No, it's hot dogs. It, you throw hot dogs Matter at the of wall? fact, listeners, if you're out there right now, it's summertime. I know you guys are all grilling. You have probably some hot dogs in your fridge. Throw Do it at the favor. wall. Yeah, go grab it right now. Yeah. Throw it at the wall and then take a picture and put it on our Facebook post. Or take a take a little video the, of it. The hot dog like smashed on the ground that you threw. Or yeah, yeah if you could do a video of you actually throwing it, even better. And if it sticks, we will make that an actual like like we'll we'll post it ourselves for you. You know what? I'm calling out Chad Flint. Ooh, our buddy Chad. Yeah, I want you to throw a hot dog at a wall. All right, Chad, and then put it on our Facebook thing. You you have to show us the hot dog make against the wall thing. Yeah. So class and others also noted that the UFO incident was broadcast on NBC just a few weeks before Walton's disappearance. This made for television film was um, made for television film was a fictionalized account of the Hill abduction, as we talked about earlier. The first widely publicized case of alien abductions. Class and others speculated that Walton had been inspired by the program. Walton denied that he had watched the program, but class notes that Mike Rogers watched at least a portion of the program. Clark argues that Walton's account of his time on the UFO is quite different from the Hill account and that furthermore, furthermore, quote, there is not a great deal of similarity between Walton's and any other abduction narrative, end quote, publicly discussed as of November of 1975. Okay, so I found something. Okay. And it's kind of breaking my heart right now because I really love this story. Wow! We'll be right back after... This message. Every morning, every. But now we return 
to your regularly scheduled program. I've loved this story for so long. It's ever since I, when the movie came out, I can't remember what year it was. It was probably nineties or whatever. And I, I saw it in the theater and just fell in love with the story and like the whole concept of it. I thought it was the coolest shit ever. And now I'm kind of heartbroken because while you were doing that, I was trying to find that contract to see what it was worth. Okay. And on Wikipedia, I find this first line right here. Okay. And it says, in the days following Walton's UFO claim, the National Enquirer awarded Walton and all of his co-workers a $5,000 prize for best UFO case of the year. So, okay, but let's did they think know about that, that would happen? I mean, that back then, that's a lot of money. If you're a tree logger, five grand is going to put a lot of food on the table for a long time. But is five grand worth your, your just getting drugged through the mud and all the bullshit that goes along with it? I mean, think, I mean, five grand back in 1975 is probably a decent amount okay. of money, but not to profile and be offensive, but let's look at this type of person. You're a tree logger in the middle of nowhere. So probably doesn't have a lot of money. Hillbilly, you're driving a beat up shit truck. You probably live in a little shanty kind of shack. Hey, what's wrong with hillbillies, Jeff? <laughs> exactly. I don't understand, man. I'd take that $5,000 and hire someone to beat your ass. How you like that? But that's what I'm saying. And back then, you know what I mean? So they're not working in the winter. So they're seasonal because you're not going to tree log in the wintertime. That's fucking stupid. For one. Yeah, I don't know how tree logging works. I have no idea. And it's government bidded contracts. So it's not going to happen all the time. It's not steady work. Right, right. right. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, there's a little clout to it. I, guess, I don't know. But when I read that line, I was just like, oh, I don't want there to be any money involved because it's such a good story. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you think about it, man, you've been there before when you're when you're broke and you're working your ass off at kind of a shit job. And then all of a sudden there's like a potential to make some money. But again, though, did they know <laughs> how much for one rib? <laughs> did they know that they were going to get picked up by a National Enquirer? I mean, I don't, I don't think that's something that they knew was going to happen. It, it, was it a possibility? Maybe. But here's the other side of the coin. It doesn't say in here that they rejected the money. Now, if this happened to me... Of course they didn't. But I know. But if you were like really legit and it really happened to you and you were fucked up from it and like you didn't want to go back to that spot in your mind and whatnot, I personally know myself and I would not, I would reject the money. I'd be like, no, no, that's cool. Whatever. Here's my story. Because it makes some credibility to what you're saying. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Read that thing again for me. So in the days following Walton's UFO claim, the National Choir awarded Walton and his co-workers a $5,000 prize for best UFO case of the year. Okay, so awarded. They, they took it. They yeah, took the money. Yeah. It's not, they didn't say offered. Right. They awarded. They took the money. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so in 1978, Walton published the Walton Experience in which he outlined his own narrative of the event and its aftermath. The same year, Bill Berry published The Ultimate Encounter, in which he argues that the various debunkers, especially class, did not make persuasive cases and that Walton and others alleging similar experiences related experiences related events more or less as they believed they had happened. So in other words, they, he's got some people that actually do believe him and that kind of got his back. Uh, Matheson argues that Walton's book uh, makes a few fundamental errors that severely harm his case, while Walton, quote, proclaims self-righteously that he intends only to relate events and not to interpret them, Matheson writes 
Quote, the reader will see almost immediately that large sections of the book are nothing more than highly speculative, purely imaginative recreations on his part. For example, after he is knocked unconscious by the blue beam, Walton offers precise, novelistic dialogue describing the conversations of his fellow crew workers after they drove away in panic. Yet Walton never mentions whether his paraphrasing or whether he is paraphrasing their words based on what they related to him. If he interviewed the others to determine who said what, or if he simply assumed what they said. Matheson argues that this represents, quote, a lack of concern for literal accuracy that the reader cannot help but suspect is characteristic of the entire work. So what's that mean? Basically, he says that he heard them say something. And was it literal? Did he hear him verbatim? Because this is after he was supposedly knocked out. Right. Or did he, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I don't know, that seems kind of like, you know, you're you're pulling hairs at that point or splitting hairs or pulling frogs or whatever the fucking thing is. I don't know. I'm really I, I, bad at those. I just feel like crying. Like this episode just ruined one of the greatest movies for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to break your heart. You know what? Here's the thing. If take it with a grain of salt, like watch the movie. If you haven't seen it, if you've seen it, you're probably crying on the inside like me. But if you haven't seen it, watch it and go in with an open mind of Forget the money, forget all the details that we've just gone over, and just think of the concept of it. It's it's a it's an amazing movie. It is a good it, it really movie. Is. It is. It is. Even if it is um the story. Let's just say if if it's a work of fiction, it's still a good movie. Yeah. It is. So in nineteen ninety three, Walton's book was adapted into the film Fire in the Sky, directed by Robert Lieberman and starring DB Sweeney as Travis Walton. Robert Patrick, we know who that is. Have you seen this boy? <laughs> That's right. That's the uh T-1000, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. also Richard Patrick's brother from Filter. Yes, it is. Hey, man! Anyway, uh, as Mike Rogers and Scott McDonald as Walton's brother, Dan Walton. Clark writes that the film found, quote, moderate success, mixed reviews, and ufologist complaints about its inaccuracies and exagger- exaggerations, end quote. Especially inaccurate was the portion of the film detailing his time on the UFO. Yeah, it's completely different. Which, in, in, in my opinion, the movie adaptation is better. That's probably why it's they way did. more creepy, like when they'd stick the needle in his yeah. eye and shit, and he can't move with that. Spoiler alert. Over there. Yeah. <laughs> so it bears almost no resemblance to the original narrative. Screenwriter Tracy Torme uh, even sent letters to many ufologists claiming that the changes were requested by studio officials and apologizing for making such substantial alterations to Walton's narrative. But of course. This one sells shit. We need more probes. <laughs> hey, George. George. Give me some insight. Uh, so this is what he originally says. What do you think we should do? What? So first of all, it's the alien abduction of the dead. No, George, that's not going to fly. Yeah, I don't think that's right, George. Yeah, um, we don't want to put money into that. Yeah, uh, it's fire in the sky. You son of a bitch. Yeah, fire in the sky. It's about uh, an alien abduction, George. So it's about a UFO of the dead. No, 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 George, you're not You're not listening. Nobody died. Um, Again. Okay, anyway. Anyway, so in the renewed public uh, pub, uh, publicity, pub, <laughs> I can't mouth. get my I can't get my Roadrunner bun because I'm doing the board on here. So yeah. <laughs> I can't hit on the buttons. My mouth hates me. In the renewed publicity generated by the motion picture, Walton, Mike Rogers, and Alan Dallas agreed to take polygraph examinations at the behest of quote a skeptical ufologist Jerry Black. Again, the tests were conducted by Cy Gilson, and the men all asserted that the events as they related them were true. Gilson concluded that all three men were truthful in regard to their responses about the events of November 5th, Aha! 1975. Now, if Moody were here, he would go into the whole thing because I know him. 
you were going to the whole thing of how anybody can spoof a lie detector because it's a heartbeat thing and you like if you calm yourself and breathe right like you can literally manipulate a lie detector there's a whole thing behind that well now now there there's there's a reason that lie detectors have become inadmissible in court um it's because they you you can falsify them you can um cheat the system yeah but in the same sense it sucks for those people who are actually telling the fucking truth because it's 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 like anything else the bad seeds fuck it up for everyone right you know what i mean like they need to have something more credible uh like a truth serum or something like that you know you know what i would love to see is fucking david blaine on a lie detector because he would just sit there (laughs) and be like have you ever uh driven a car and he'd be like I don't know. And then all of a sudden, he starts drawing a picture of a car. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, he's like, hmm. The guy's like, what the fuck? Yeah, he just totally fucks with them. Dude, guys, come here. Check this out. <laughs> so those are the two main alien abductions we wanted to talk about. And listen, that was a lot of information for two abductions. Yeah, there's some good. And this is not going to be the last time we talk about alien abductions. The abductions. This is just the first time in two of the coolest stories that are out there that, you know, truthfully, I knew about the one. Um, I well, I knew about them both, but I knew more about the Betty and Barney Hill, um, and finding out about um, you, you, uh, uh, the Fire in the Sky and Travis Walton and stuff. I, I've seen the movie, and I really didn't know this kind of information, just like you, you know. But yeah. I, I mean, I like the movie, but you were definitely more of a fan than I was. So, what do you think? You, you're, you do you think there's some I'm legitimacy? Gonna, you know I'm not going to let it tarnish. I'm going to have the movie side and the story side, okay, and I'm going to have like the actual factual what we learned today, and I'm going to keep them separate. Do you feel like it's debunked? You do? You feel After like reading the, the line about the money, because the whole time I, I believed in this for years and years and years, what always threw me off is like, well, there's nothing to gain. Like I've said multiple times this episode, back then, what do you gain? All you're gaining is you're a crazy kook and you're not going to get any work or any money or anything out of it. Right, right. But now I find out that they were actually making money and stuff. And it's kind of like, ah, yeah, it's the yeah, you know, broken. Heart. So I'm going to keep them separated in my heart. <laughs> in my heart, I will keep them separated. Because okay. I have the love and like right, the story. Because you love the movie. I just thought it was creative as hell. Yeah. I thought whoever came up with the whole thing is just, it, it's brilliant. And then we have what actually happened. Right. So. so we would love to hear what you guys think. Um, all of you passengers, give us your insight on this. Like, do you think that the uh, Travis Walton um, fire in the sky thing, do you think because they did actually pass the lie detectors, um, do you think it's true? Do you think what he experienced was an actual event? And if you want to read more about it, get online, just look it up, and you can find all kinds of information. Or watch the movie, and just remember, even if you don't believe, it could still be true. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our news segment, WTF. Or as I like to say, what the f***? All right, so here's the thing. Alien abductions... Right. I did some research. Oh, I know shit. I'm not supposed to, oh, but shit. I did some research. And uh, I like to Google things. The Google Sheets? I, I Googled alien abduction. And since I'm always working with a lot of music and I have music going in and out, whatever, of my computer, usually everything I Google is music related for like the top three posts you know, that come up. Right. So I Googled it and... The first thing that comes out, and I couldn't believe it, was Mushmouth presents alien abductions. Oh shit! Yeah. Well, hello, boys and girls. It's your pal from Mushmouth Records. 
with our new hit summer jam session, Alien Abduction, with 21 pilots heavy, dirty sound. Me, 
Instagram girl And we're living In a Pinterest world And I'm a motherfucking White Claw girl Oh my god I'm gonna throw up So, you're not a materialistic person That's okay Cause you know what? That's the way you make me feel Michael Jackson complete without our dear, dear performer, Alanis Morissette. Learn. This is Alanis Morissette. I want to tell you that I love Bushmouth Records. They play all my songs. They're so special. Those are my guys. Hi, hi. Nintendo. Yeah, Kabaligoo.
Well, get online today and order Mushmouth Presents Alien Abduction Charms. Brought to you by no one. Please support us. All right, passengers. We hope you have thoroughly enjoyed your anal probe ridden ride on alien abductions. And don't forget to head on over to the midnighttrainpodcast.com at our website. You guys can actually pick up some super sweet merchandise at our new store, and we will donate 10% of every sale to the National Association on Mental Illness. Now, listen, you know, because mental illness, it's not a joke. Truthfully, it's not. I suffer from it. A lot of people suffer from it. So just, you know, get out there and help, you know, get a cool shirt, and we'll throw 10% of whatever you guys, you know, buy. Did, did I them. hear there's a Chancellor Tit Tit shirt? There is, and only for a limited time. So if people want oh. that Chancellor Tit Tit, they got to go in there and get it. Get your feet down on it! And I'm thinking there might be an alien abduction shirt Ooh. coming up. But I think uh, we might have to put Mr. Moody on that one. What do you nice. think? Because he's yeah. obviously been abducted because he's not here right now, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe abducted can by we, his family. Can we just get a picture of his face with a tinfoil hat? Yes. That's, so it would almost look like a triangle because his beard. Like a UFO. Like a garden gnome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and don't forget to send us your creepy little items you guys want us to hang here at the train station to the Midnight Train Podcast, P.O. Box 38206, Olmstead Falls. That's O-L-M-S-T-E-D Falls, Ohio 44138. And you beautiful listeners keep asking how you can keep this steam in our engines. Well, if you like what you hear from us, consider being a producer of the show by heading over to TheMidnightTrainPodcast.com and clicking on the Patreon button at the top of the page. Thank you. Thank you. Which, by the way, we've been getting a ton of supporters and a lot of people are involved in becoming Patreons and producers of the show. We're people actually, like us. They, I, I didn't think so. Like we're actually doing this right, I guess. I guess. So for as little as five bucks a month, you guys can get all kinds of cool shit like custom shirt, custom poster, custom sticker. Bonus episodes, uh, which I'm going to be posting up a new bonus episode on Edgar Allan Poe. There's some really which cool will be stuff. fun, and like you'll get a lot more skits in there and stuff that you normally don't hear. Like we did, uh, we did one recording that's long ago that was pretty freaking hilarious. Yeah, there's, there's. I'm not going to spoil it, but if you're in the the Patreon, you'll you'll see it's awesome. Right, absolutely. So Patreon, you know, if you're if you guys are diehard Midnight Train fans and you want to help produce this motherfucker, our Patreon is for you. For those of you that would rather leave us a one-time donation, you can head on over to PayPal and use the email address, themidnighttrainpodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can easily like, subscribe, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform, and most importantly, share the Midnight Train to everyone. It literally takes only a couple of minutes, and word of mouth is how we're going to get more passengers on this train and continue to bring you weekly episodes and bonus episodes, because I want to get as many bonus episodes out there as possible. But, you know, we do have to work, and the more you guys help out, the less we have to work, and the more we can bring you cool shit, and maybe we can all freaking go on a cruise one day, and, and, oh, sorry, I got, um, sorry. A cruise would be fun. Cruise. A booze cruise. Yeah, as long as it doesn't go anywhere. Can we just be docked the whole time? Because I went on a cruise, dude, and that was rough. Did you take Dramamine? I took everything. It bothered you? <laughs> dude, I had to be fucking annihilatedly drunk in order to not feel fucking fucked up the entire time. Huh. I mean, because, like... When you're drunk on a cruise ship, it doesn't feel like you're on a cruise ship because yeah. you're already fucking stumbling and walking all over the place all weird. So that's what I had to do. Yeah. So we can't thank you guys enough for all of the love and support that we've received. Uh, you passengers, keep this train moving. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, next week, I think it's going to be a 
passenger request. So what we want you guys to do is to go on there and tell us what you want to hear us do for next week's episode. Why don't we do this? Make, a, make a post. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everybody submits in a comment form. Whoever's comment has the most likes wins. I like it. All right. All right. So you guys got to get active on the Facebook forum. We'll put the post up. Or over to the forum on the uh, the website as well, which is we're still kind of tinkering and trying yeah. to transition over to that. But obviously, people it, it, listen. Facebook Facebook is more accessible, so I get it. I Zuckerberg's like, <laughs> yeah, I've got my claws and everything. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna do that. So uh, you guys are going to actually pick what we're gonna talk about next week for episode two in season four. It's season four, Jeff. My God, how do you feel? Four ish. Four ish. Yeah. Well, is that dog years or podcaster years? Well, if that was dog years, we'd be what, like 30s? 28-ish? Well, 28, 28-ish, 29-ish, 30-ish. So it's all, the stars are aligning. Mm -hmm. That's good. Greatly. So listen, a big, huge, fucking, great, enormous midnight train shout out to, hold on, I can do this, Bill B. Uh, oh shit, I fucked it up. Hold on. <laughs> Bill, I know. That's all right, because that's my friend Bill, and he's super cool. So, anyway, to Bill B, Kevin, Matt, Diana, Christopher, Jacqueline, Katie, Michaela, Tommy, Speaker Box, Jessica, and Christina Skelton from the Skelton Sisters and the Sister Skelton Podcast. Make sure you check them out and their latest episode that Jeff and I were actually on. Riley, Diane, Alina, Stephanie, Julie, Laura, Cynthia, Kirsten, Dawn, Nicola, Chanel, Alex, Emily Ann, Frandapai, which I believe that's just a, a what do you call it? A, a, a username or something like that? Tag. Yeah. Gamer tag. Sure. Uh, Danny, Melissa, Grace, Stormy, Eva, Rob at the Fun Box Podcast, Melissa, Wayne, Victoria, Hager, Sean, Chainsaw, Jigsaw, Todd, Wow, <laughs> David V, Justin K, Juan, Belen, Ken and Brad at Voodoo Vodka, Chef Kevin, Katie, Samantha, Davey, our Mexican Vato, and an even fucking bigger, huge, very fucking special thank you to our new producers, Chad Flint, Cheryl Pierce, and Chris McLeod. Chad, I want to see hot dogs in the wall, buddy. Hot dogs you against the wall. make that happen. So if you want your name to be mentioned on the show, sign up as a member on our website or even better, become a Patreon producer. All right, Jeff, anything you got to say before we get out of here? Go watch Fire in the Sky and have an open mind. You know, we pretty much debunked it. I think at this point, you can kind of read through the lines and everything we went over and kind of figure out that man, maybe it was a money grab. The first story was pretty good, though. There wasn't a lot of loopholes in that one. Yeah, I'm telling so, you, man, there's some credence to these stories and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning on the fence here because I used to be like straight up like, ah, fuck that. That shit never happened. But now I'm starting to lean to the fact that, OK, maybe it could have happened or yeah. could possibly happen. So that's I mean, look I'm at this at. year and everything that's happened. Now we got a fucking dust storm coming. You see that? Yeah. From Africa. Is that yeah, right? Four four thousand mile wide dust storm. That's fucking insane. It's interstellar. Dude, we're this is some strange times, man. And in saying that, everyone, please do your social distancing. Be safe out there. Nobody wants this shit to keep going on forever because now I hear Texas is closing back up and Florida's closing yep. back up and all these places are closing up. Let's just fucking ride this shit out. Do what we got to do. And listen, I know for the economy, it sucks. But listen, we want you guys to be healthy so you can be on every ride from here on out. So stay safe out there. And Moody, we love you, you son of a bitch. And we can't wait for you to be back here next week and every week after because if he misses another one, I'm going to kick Rochambeau. I'm right in his balls. So our passengers... We love you guys. And on behalf of Jeff, Moody, and myself, as we always say, 
Choo-choo, motherfuckers! Passengers, it's now up to you to decide on season 4, episode 2's topic. Shall it be encrypted? A murder mystery? Start thinking and thank you for being the most important part of our show.